I recently did an Instagram post where I said that the term stability is vaguely defined and doesn't have support in the scientific literature. And somebody asked me, very good question, uh, why do you say that? And uh, my answer is a little bit too long to put in a thread on Instagram, so I'm making a short podcast about it. So uh, here is my answer. Why stability is not a useful term in Pilates or in exercise in general. Stability uh, in physics and in biomechanics is defined as the capacity or the tendency of a system to return to the same state after it's disturbed. Now, the the typical, or well, I think it's a good metaphor that people use, teachers use to illustrate the concept of stability is the idea of a ball in a bowl. And if so, if you imagine a, a small ball, like a tennis ball or something like that, inside a sort of large you know, bowl, uh, sitting at the bottom of the bowl, the, the bowl is otherwise empty. Uh, and you imagine if you give that ball a little push, It'll roll up the wall of the bowl a bit and then it'll return and it'll sort of roll around the bottom in a little circle and circle the center and then it'll come to rest again pretty much exactly where it was before you disturbed it. So that system would be said to be stable. Whereas if you take the ball out of the bowl, flip the bowl upside down and put the ball on top of the upturned bowl, and now give the ball a gentle tap in any direction, the ball will roll down the side of the bowl and roll away along whatever the the bowl is resting on. And it will not return to its original state. So that system would be said to be unstable. So that's the basic sort of biomechanical concept or definition of stability, which is the tendency of a system to return to the same state after we disturb it. However, when we apply this definition, and we can apply that definition to the spine very easily. If we look at somebody's spinal position, you know, the position of their trunk relative to the pelvis, for example, and we you know, apply a force to the spine, we could apply force by pushing from outside, or we could apply force internally from the body by maybe you know contracting the leg muscles or the arm muscles, which both attach to the trunk, and so they would they would create a force on the spine. And if the spine is able to either maintain its position or return to its initial position very quickly, that it's, the spine could be said to be stable. So that's a pretty nice and simple definition. So where where does the <laughs> lack of clarity come in? Well, the lack of clarity comes in when we try and use this definition in the context of injury or pain or rehabilitation. Because when we talk about um, trunk on pelvis stability, like I just described, you know, can you hold your torso in the same place and move your leg? That is generally not the sort of stability that we think of when we think of back injury or pain. Typically, when we use the term stability in relation to low back pain or injury, what we are referring to is the intersegmental stability of the spine. So not the ability, not the global 
stability of the keeping the trunk in the same place relative to the pelvis, but this intersegmental stability, the stability between adjacent vertebrae. So, for example, the ability to keep the L3 in the same place relative to the L4. And when we start to talk about intersegmental stability, the same concept can apply if we apply a load to the L3. Does the L3 either remain in the same relationship to the L4 or does it quickly return to something approximating the same relationship, in which case it could be said to be stable, or does it not do those things, in which case does it you know, move into a different position, in which case it would be said to be unstable. However, when we think about intersegmental stability, although the mental model is still quite simple, it becomes very essentially unclear because we can't study it. We can't observe the spinal segments. We can easily observe global stability. We can have someone stand in front of us and raise a leg and see if their torso bends to the side. That's very easy to observe and measure. But it is currently not possible with our existing technology to measure, at least on a large scale, the intersegmental movement or stability in during perturbations or movements. We the only technologies we have that can visualize inside the body accurately um, are either don't allow for movement, things like MRI scanners, where you're in this tiny hollow tube <laughs> that uh, you, you really couldn't lift your leg more than you know, a, a centimeter or two before your foot hits the top of the tube. So we can't measure movement inside an MRI scanner or a CT scanner, which essentially is pretty similar. We also have something called stereofluoroscopic X-rays, which we can is basically a stereo video X-ray machine, uh, which we can actually visualize in three dimensions what's happening inside the spine in real time as people move. However, these uh, machines put out just horrendous amounts of ionizing radiation. So uh, it's not safe to have people move for prolonged periods of time or do repeated tests inside a stereofluoroscopic X-ray machine. So we literally have no way of seeing or measuring or observing in any way what's happening between the L3 and the L4, or any pair of spinal segments, when we load the spine. So when we move the leg or the arm, or when we you know, change direction, or when a, we're uh, subjected to an, a force from outside the body, someone pushes us from the side, or you know something like that. So we literally don't know whether the spine is whether the spine is intersegmentally stable because we can't observe it. Now, it goes one step beyond that because just because something is unstable doesn't necessarily mean that causes injury. So, for example, if I stand on one leg in front of you and you reach out and push me on the side of my torso and my torso bends and twists and I can't maintain my balance and I have to step onto the floor and 
recover my balance. It's like, well, I was unstable, but I didn't become injured. So it's possible to be unstable and that to be completely safe. And likewise, if the spine is capable of bending and twisting, and so if there were some movement between the L3 and the L4, well, that doesn't necessarily mean there's going to be an injury there. So it could be the case that the L3 moved on the L4 and was in fact unstable in a given situation without there being any injury. So there are there are two layers of, I guess, lack of clarity when it comes to measuring or even talking about spinal stability in the context of low back pain injury. The first being we simply can't measure intersegmental stability. And the second being, well, even if the system was unstable, we don't know, we have no, we have zero research linking instability to back injury. We've got lots of research on spinal stabilization, but all of that research actually doesn't measure spinal stabilization, or almost all of it doesn't measure spinal stabilization. In all of this, in all of the, the randomized controlled trials where we do spinal stabilization training, we actually don't measure spinal stabilization because we can't. So what we measure instead is we measure the the timing and the degree of recruitment of the deep spinal muscles, the lumbar multifidus, the transversus abdominis, because these muscles have attachments directly to individual vertebrae, and they're thought to be the muscles primarily responsible for intersegmental stabilization of the vertebrae. Now, that biomechanically does make sense, but we have no direct evidence of it because we can't measure spinal stability, intersegmental stability. So when we do a study on spinal stabilization exercises, what we do is we measure the recruitment and the timing of these muscles, which is relatively easy to do. And then we do some intervention where we train people to use the muscles differently. And then we measure the recruitment of the muscles again and see if it's changed. And then we see if their back pain's got better or worse. And at no point do we actually measure the movement of the vertebrae. So we never measure the spinal stability. All we measure is the recruitment of those muscles. And we assume that changes in recruitment of those muscles correlate with changes in stability of those vertebral segments. And we also assume that changes in stability of those vertebral segments correlate with changes in pain. Now, neither of those things is has any basis for evidence because we simply can't observe or measure the movement of those vertebral segments. In fact, what evidence we do have probably suggests that it's not true that spinal stability is is related to low back pain. Uh, When people receive spinal stabilization exercises, they that their improvement in pain is not correlated to changes in timing or thickness of the transversus abdominis muscle. And I'll pop the citation for this in the show notes. You can look it up. And you know, some researchers have thought, well, maybe this is because 
you know, and what we find consistently, in fact, in and there's I think six or seven systematic reviews of uh, spinal stabilization exercises now that show that it's not better than just general strengthening exercise for the trunk. It helps, but it doesn't help any more or less than just doing a plank or, you know, doing some ab curls and swimming exercise or whatever. And so some researchers have hypothesized that on average, you know, spinal stabilization might work, you know, the same for, you know, a large group of people, but within that group of people who received the spinal stabilization, maybe for some of those people it worked really well because they were in fact unstable. And for other people, it didn't work very well at all because they weren't unstable and their back pain was caused by some other reason. And so when we look at a large group average, like we do in randomized controlled trials, we don't see stabilization exercise you know, outperforming just general exercise because we're not actually targeting the stabilization exercise to people who are unstable. We're just giving a blanket approach of everybody gets stabilization exercise in the, in the intervention group. So researchers have tried on a number of occasions to identify people who have spinal instability and who are likely to benefit from stabilization exercises and to give those people stabilization exercises and then to give another group who have very similar symptoms and age and all of that kind of stuff, stabilization exercises when they don't have spinal instability. And then they also gave non-stabilization exercises to the people who had spinal instability or so-called spinal instability, and then stabilization exercise, and then you know non-stabilization exercises to people who didn't have spinal instability. So basically, if we give you know stabilization exercises to people who uh, exhibit the signs of an of spinal instability, do they do better? than if we give those same stabilization exercises to people who don't exhibit the signs of spinal instability? And the answer is no, they don't. So when we when we screen people for spinal instability and then give them specific targeted spinal, spinal stabilization training to address their spinal instability, they get better. But they don't get any more better than people who don't have spinal instability who we give the same exercises to. And those people who have you know, uh, spinal instability, so-called, also do just as well when we don't give them spinal stabilization training, we just give them more general training. So whether or not somebody you know, appears to have spinal instability they don't do better or worse with spinal stabilization exercises one way or the other. So almost certainly when we give people spinal stabilization exercises, we're not stabilizing their spine. So where does that leave us? Well, back pain is a complex phenomenon which is not very well understood. We know it's you know, we don't know what causes low back pain, but we do know it's multifactorial. It's not as simple as a single biomechanical cause in almost all cases. And the concept of stability, uh, although it was, uh, did seem quite plausible 
in the sort of mid-90s up until the early 2000s, subsequent research has really shown that uh, you know the 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 stabilization motor control exercise, you know, activating a transversus abdominis and a lumbar multivitus actually doesn't give better outcomes than any other form of exercise, even when we match it to people who have so-called spinal instability. Uh, and moreover, spinal instability at an intersegmental level is not defined because we simply can't observe movement of the spinal segments during, you know, in live humans. And so we don't know whether somebody's vertebral segments are moving or not. Palpation is a very uh, inaccurate measure. You know, we can't, we, we can't feel these things as accurately as we think we can feel them. So we have no way of observing the movement of the spine to tell whether it's stable or not at a segmental level. And furthermore, we don't know what degree of movement or instability would result in injury because it's possible to move without being injured. So there would need to be some specified amount of movement that exceeded the physiological capacity of those body segments, those vertebrae, to tolerate. And we don't know what that is. And furthermore, we can't even measure how much they're moving. So spinal stability is a nebulous and ill-defined concept when it comes to low back pain. It's, it's not a useful tool because interventions based on the notion of spinal stability don't have superior outcomes to in, interventions just based on general strengthening and stretching. Now, they're not worse, so there's nothing – there's, uh, I think, on prima facie, on the face of it, there's nothing wrong with doing spinal uh, stabilization exercises because they do help people with low back pain to the same degree that general strengthening and stretching helps. However, I would argue that there are two reasons why it's probably better in most cases not to use spinal stabilization exercises. And the first reason is just opportunity cost. So if you're going to spend, you know, an hour a week doing Pilates with somebody, if you spend the bulk of that time doing sideline multifidus activation or supine transverse abdominus activation at 20% of their maximum voluntary contraction, you'll probably help their back pain to some degree, but you won't help their strength or fitness to any notable degree. And so there's an opportunity cost that you're actually not working their muscles and in getting all of those other benefits that come with improving strength, flexibility, and coordination. So if you did just strength and flexibility and coordination exercises, you would get strength, flexibility, and coordination, and you would also help their back pain. So why not help their back pain and get them strong and flexible at the same time. So that's the first reason I don't think motor control exercises or spinal stabilization exercises are a good idea for most people. The second reason is that uh, by using words like instability, or even if we don't use the word unstable, we just say we're going to stabilize your spine, that can create fear avoidance. It can create a feed-forward nociceptive loop, as it's called, which basically just means we can sensitize the pain system. We can cause more 
distress inadvertently by giving our clients the notion that their spine is fragile and unstable. Because we know that the fear of pain can in fact cause people to increase co-activation, co-contraction of their trunk muscles as a protective reflex, which can increase the stimulus to those sensitized tissues, right? Which then they put out a signal, which core, you know, which generates more sensation, which the person can interpret as pain sometimes, which then they can co-activate more and it becomes a feed-forward loop, gets out of control. Now, that's not for everybody, and motor control exercise, spinal stabilization exercise can help people. But you do run a, a non-zero risk of increasing fear avoidance. Now, there's one situation where I would use spinal stabilization exercises, and that's where the client had a very strongly held belief that those exercises would help them. Right? If they came in and said, oh, I really need to learn how to use my multifidus, and I just know if I could activate my multifidus correctly, that my back pain would be a lot better. Right? In that case, I would help them activate the multifidus because the fact that they believe <laughs> that it's going to help, uh, the placebo effect and the expectation effect associated with that would very likely enhance the benefit they would experience from doing that exercise. So I would give them, you know, the exercise that they thought and expected would help them. Why not? <laughs> Why not give them the exercise they expect to help? Because the fact that they expect it to help means it probably will help. So dear listener, I hope this has been interesting for you. The concept of stability is clearly defined in biomechanics. It's clearly defined in physics. It's the tendency of a system to return to its resting state or the same state it was at before disturbance or after disturbance. And so we, it's easy to measure in, an, in a trunk on pelvis, global stability situation, but it's currently impossible to measure it at an intersegmental level. And furthermore, we don't know what level of movement at an intersegmental level would correspond with injury or pain. So it's not a useful concept. The literature is clear that when we do spinal stabilization training, it helps, but doesn't help any more than doing anything, any other type of training. And I believe the opportunity cost uh, combined with the potential to cause real harm um, through fear avoidance uh, doesn't warrant using spinal stabilization exercises unless the client firmly believes they will really, really help, in which case I would probably use them. All right, dear listener, I hope that helps you. I hope you find that interesting. I'm going to pop a couple of those links to those research papers I mentioned in the show notes and uh, much love and I'll see you in the next one. After two exercise science degrees and over a decade and a half of reading research daily, I've condensed all the current science on rehab into a program called the Clinical Exercise Specialist Rehabilitation. Inside the program, I'll teach you to do three things. One, deeply understand how the body works. Two, confidently and expertly rehab literally any client. And three, get results for your clients. So ultimately, your clients tell their friends and you become known as the go-to expert in your area. 
This program is completely unlike any education you've done before, even if you've studied with us before, because of the way we've built the learning design. It's an online, flexible, skill-based learning program, which means you keep doing the skills under supervision until you're good at them. It's more of a mentorship model than a traditional course model. So rather than rushing through the content and having sort of one go at everything, you actually just practice live and we give you feedback and guidance and we dialogue and explore concepts together until you're highly skilled and confident. We just keep working the material until you get it. It's not rushed at all. It's not about ticking off the content. It's about engaging, practicing and applying it until you own it. This is a life-changing program, not some weekend certification. I've put my heart and soul into building this, and I can't wait to share it with you and help you discover your genius for anatomy and rehab. Now, because of the highly interactive nature of this program, we're only taking on 12 students worldwide. The program starts on March the 1st, and the first 12 qualified people to apply will be allowed to enroll. So if you're interested in learning more, click the link in the show notes and download the course guide or go to breathe-education.com and click on the clinical certification menu in uh, link in the top menu. That's breathe-education.com and click on the clinical certification link in the top menu.